This program is brought to you by the Gin Society, www.ginsociety.com. Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. On the show, Laurie Daly, born in June, New South Wales, 244 games for the Canberra Raiders, three premierships, 23 state of origin, going on to become coach, and he played in 21 test matches for Australia. He's a radio host on the Big Sports Breakfast, and he's the only boy in a family of eight. And Shannon Noel, an Australian singer-songwriter growing up in Condobolin, New South Wales. He burst on the music scene his first season of Idol in 2003. He's released five top ten albums, including two multi-platinum sellers. His combined album and single sales are 1.3 million in Australia, and he's a big supporter of the charity Movember. Let's get started. Boys, on the show today, Laurie Daly, 244 games for the Canberra Raiders with three premierships. And also Shannon Noel, Australian singer-songwriter. He burst on the music scene back in 2003. So welcome to the show, boys. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, Shane. Now, Laurie, how are you going, mate, with, with the whole isolation thing? How are you coping? Yeah, not too bad. You mentioned the, the radio program that myself and uh, Michael Clark do, the Big Sports Breakfast, but we're, we're doing it from home. So obviously it's mm-hmm. difficult not being in a studio together and then you find yourself just spending a lot of time with your family which is nice but you want that interaction with <laughs> other males and um yeah i just not getting that at the moment so it's been good to spend time at home but i reckon i've come to the end where i need to get out have a few beers with my uh mates and uh start to you. have a um have a, a bit of a lunch which you <laughs> will know shane you will know you you love your lunches my friend well, I do, man. I thought that's the reason I started lunch with you. I thought, what am I? What have I done? Ten thousand hours at? I've done that in cricket, and I've done that at lunch. So I think I'm a professional, mate. And Shan, <laughs> Shan, you're um, you're actually moving back to the to the country. Yeah, mate. Yeah, we've actually got out of the city. We were uh, uh, in the Shire area there. We just ducked. We ducked out about a, oh, probably an hour from the airport, mate. Fifty minutes from the airport, and on seven acres. So um, yeah, we've we've got our hands full at the moment, just settling in. But it's all good. And, and Laurie, like you boys are both, you know, country boys originally, and um, yeah, you must really feel for the you know the country folk, you know, with with the the, you know, the drought they had, then the bushfires, now this <clears throat> pandemic, they'd they'd be doing it pretty tough out there at the moment. Oh, most definitely. The thing I love about bush people, though, we're quite resilient, <clears throat> um, yep. and no matter what challenge we're faced with, uh, we always find a way to come out of it. Um, and we need to support one another, and that's what Australians are good at, and in particular, people in the bush. Uh, they rally around their own, and it has been uh, horrendous times for people mm. on the land and in country areas, and I feel for every one of those people, and, you know, they are they are doing it tough, but, um, you know, they've got their friends and they've got their family and they've got sure. a lot of support out there, and I'm just hoping that uh, everyone – while this pandemic is is going on, that, uh, you know, we help each other out and that's what Australians are very good at. And as I've said before, that's what country people are extremely good at. Yeah, they sure are. And, like, from a sporting perspective, you know, the the country gives so many players and, you know, stars to our sports as well. So it's really, really important that, yeah, as you said, we we support each other. And, Shan, you get out in the country still a bit (coughs) touring around when, when you're allowed, I suppose. Yeah, mate, yeah, most definitely. I think probably the best thing with the farming sector is they've been able to continue working, which has been fantastic. I think mm. if they were to have been 
locked down like the rest of us, we'd all be uh, there'd be no uh, no cornflakes or anything like that on the shelves. There'd be no uh, no nothing to to go to the supermarket for. I think, mate. So we're probably all very very lucky in the sense that uh, that that all the farmers could continue to go to work and 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 you know and provide. You know, food and and, uh, yeah. and barley for beer and all that sort of stuff. That's so very important. We'll be a bit, yeah, exactly, mate. <laughs> so it's probably been great that they could do that. And they've had a bit of rain out there recently, back where I come from, anyway. So the, 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 the area looks terrific, mate. At the moment, you wouldn't have known it. Um, you know, most people have nearly been brought to the brink of bankruptcy with uh, because of the drought. So uh, hopefully, they'll have better time to head out there um, coming and uh, moving forward, mate. You know. And Lise, you were named in—I uh, think you were named five-eight in the uh, all-time Indigenous teammate, which is a which is a great honour. And you do a lot with Indigenous people too in the country. You still involved with that? Yeah, I still do uh, a bit of work there, uh, Shana. It, it, it's just good to be able to reconnect. And I think mm. um, you know you you continually learn about your culture, you continually learn about your own family, and you continually try and give give back. And I think that's one thing that. You know, Shannon and I have been able to do um, being profile people as such that you can put your name to charities or put your name yeah. a- and go and help uh, support people when they're when they're doing it tough or whether you're looking to give back to your, your own communities and and that's something that I've really enjoyed and I've been a part of uh, Indigenous programs. I'm lucky enough to coach the Indigenous All Stars side and and I really enjoy it and and again it, for me it's a uh, it's the ability to reconnect with the culture and find out a lot more about my family and f- find out a lot more about others as well. Oh, well said. And, Shen, so it's yeah. been 17 years, mate, since, you know, Idol, 2003. Yeah. Mate, you must be proud of the last 17 years. Mate, oh, I mean, you know, there's, there's a few parts that I could <laughs> my time again. I'd probably uh, leave out. But, but no, mate, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's been an amazing ride, mate, you know, or just, just especially after, you know, driving a tractor and, and then going on a singing show to be still uh, still touring around, or when uh, obviously with, with, without this situation at the moment, but to still be able to be working in the business and making an income, mate, I'm pretty stoked with that. You know what I mean? It's sort of short lived a lot of the reality TV stuff. Sure. You know? So to, to be still you know still involved at the level that I am, 17 years later, mate, I'm tickle pink. You know, and, and it, but it all comes down to the amazing support from the fans, mate. You know, the Australian public have sort of given me every opportunity. Uh, along the way, and, and continue to do so. So I'm I'm forever grateful for that, mate, and fully aware that without that support, um, none none of this would have happened, you know. And that, and and so, looking back at that sort of instant fame and I suppose stardom you got with Idol, would you recommend <coughs> that journey for say one of your kids or or other kids? Mate, it's a difficult one, you know. I think because uh, obviously early in the piece we didn't expect it, but there's a lot of industry backlash from other people in the business. They just sort of didn't think we deserved it or earned it. The success that came with the show, you know, and my opinion was always, you know, hate the game, don't sort of hate the player, you know, but but uh, they, they, they sort of, we were just trying to make the most of the, uh, the situation that we we're in. So, you know, but, but uh, there was, was a lot of negativity in that respect. And also I think the show itself promoted, you know, you sing in the shower and then you're going to be having number ones, which wasn't the case at all. I think the top 12 on my season, we're all had been touring, doing live shows for, for upwards of 10 years before that. So, you know, I think gotcha. it wasn't, we were pretty instilled in the music industry before that, but definitely not on that level, which uh, which which that show took us to. But I don't think anyone was no. was uh, ready for what was going to happen. You know, it, it sort of took off in a big way and, and it was a pretty crazy, crazy time. And, and, and Laurie, for you, starting, how old were you when you first made your debut for the Raiders? 
So I was 17 yeah. uh, when I first played for the Canberra Raiders. And I, I remember um, walking into the sheds. And a funny story, actually, because um, my, my father uh, drove me over to, to Canberra and we'd actually signed the deal. And I was 16 years of age uh, yes. when I signed for Canberra. I was only on getting, I think, about $1,000 a year or whatever, but it was a big deal for me. That's a lot of money at the private bin. Yeah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> the pilot brings back good memories, Shana. Um, but so, so the, the funny thing was that that he actually drove me to Canberra. We'd signed the contract and the secretary, they used to call them the secretary managers mm-hmm. in those days, which is today's CEO, yeah. um, he said to my father, he said, well, the young blokes here, uh, they're training tonight. Why don't... Why, why doesn't he stay and go to training tonight? My man said, good as gold. And he said, well, what are we going to do, John? And John says, well, we'll go and have a drink and we'll have a meal at the, the restaurant here at the, the club. So my father and the CEO, they go to the restaurant and we're not training till 5.30, 6 o'clock that night. And I had no training gear. And I said, John, what do I do for training gear? And he said, all you need is a pair of shoes. He said, because they'll give you clothes at the, uh, the training session because you're all sponsored gear. I said, oh, that's fine. No worries. So my old man said, here's $20. Go and get yourself a pair of runners. And I said, right, no worries. So I, I go and get myself a runners. And you can imagine $20, what that's going to get you. <laughs> so I turn up to Seaford Oval, walk in, knew absolutely no one. And they're going, yes, mate, who are you? And I said, oh, Laurie Daly, I've just signed. They said, we'll take a seat. So I took a seat. And um, so as you can imagine, I'm this little – guy from the bush and all I could see was a guy like Mal Meninga and Gary Belcher who I'd watched on television yeah, wow. uh, playing State of Origin, playing for Australia and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? <laughs> so anyhow, they hand out the gear and then I've got my brand new shoes with me and anyhow, they go, right, I put your shoes on, we're going out the train. So I look around and you see Mal and them putting on their brand new Adidas shoes and yeah. other blokes have got Nike shoes. My shoes were Dunlop volleys. <laughs> I, can I can remember. I can remember. You know when you're sitting there and you just you feel the eyes just sort of look at <laughs> and stare. So I'm st- sitting there on this seat, and I could just feel everyone looking at me, and they're all laughing at me, and they're pointing at me. So I proceeded to train in these uh, volleys, and the, as you can imagine, a footy team. They're just taking the mickey out of me. And after the session, the trainer at the time, Sean McRae, comes up to me and he goes, son, I don't know much about you, but you're not going to last long if you continue to train in those shoes. (laughs) 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 That's cold. It was very embarrassing. It was very embarrassing. But you you talk about, you know, that three premierships with that that team, right? Probably arguably one of the, you know, the greatest sort of teams potentially of all time. You know, Daly Stewart, Walters, Manega, you got Mullins, you got options everywhere. Mm. And it must have been a real thrill for a, for a young country lad to, you know, become part of that and then, you know, take over and, and lead that. Yeah, oh, it was exciting, Shane. I, I think when I first um, went to the Raiders, they, they ended up making the, grand, making the grand final in, in 97 and they were just happy mm. to be there. And then there were some coaching changes. Wayne Bennett was there in one season in charge and Tim Sheens came to the club and, you know, we had guys, as I mentioned before, the Meningas and Belchers and those guys that were just superstars. And uh, at the same time, there was myself, uh, Ricky Stewart had changed over from Rugby Union to Rugby League. There was uh, Glenn Lazarus who was running around with Queanbeyan Blues. There was Bradley Clyde who was um, 
uh, making a name for himself in the yeah, juniors, juniors as well. So we all sort of came through together. Mm. So it was quite um, quite special for us. But just on on Ricky, uh, the first time I ever met Ricky Stewart, well, I didn't actually meet him. I was I shouldn't probably say this, but I was underage and I snuck into the Queanbeyan Tigers <laughs> Club, which is an AFL club at that time. It was a Friday night. Disco. I still call them discos. My kids laugh at me. Did again. you have your Dunlop bollies on as well? <laughs> no, 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 Dunlop bollies. <laughs> Anyhow, I remember being at, at the bar and the, and the family I was living with, they had a couple of boys and, and uh, they were all 18. And then yeah, they go, well, that's Ricky Stewart. I said, oh, who's Ricky Stewart? And they said, oh, he plays for the Wallabies. You know, he's, he'd be a really good league player. And I thought, oh, right, oh, he's played for the Wallabies. He'd just come back from the tour. So I'm sort of looking at him because I'm thinking, oh, I haven't seen too many stars before and I didn't sort of know too much about him. Well, anyhow, I looked over and he's got a bourbon in his hand. He's picking the ice out of it, throwing <laughs> ice at people's head and they're looking around <laughs> seeing where the ice is coming from. I think, this makes a bit of a loser. <laughs> so anyhow... I always tell him that story. We always have a bit of a laugh about the first time I, uh, I really knew him. And then we've just become great mates ever since. Um, the first time I sort of met him and, and we connected, we had a great sort of bond on the field. But uh, sure. he was uh, he was a wonderful player. And he Actually, he, he, he actually made me the player I was because he could just throw me a ball 30 metres away. Yeah, right on the chest. Um, and then, yeah, and just hit me on the chest. And I'd be outside of the person that was defending me, which made my job a lot easier. We'll take a quick break now. We'll be back after lunch on Lunch with Lee. It's no secret I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch with Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful Gin Journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. Shen, we have a lot of sort of parents that listen to this show and was asking for advice, but what, what advice would you give to a, a young muso right now? Oh, mate, I think the biggest thing, I mean, the hard part now is obviously there's no gigs, but I think honing your craft is the, it's one of the most important things, getting comfortable yeah. uh, performing in front of a crowd, you know what I mean? A lot of kids, uh, so many young, talented kids out there who are uh, too shy or too embarrassed to, to mm-hmm. sing in front of people, you know? So I think that uh, just, just sing at barbecues, sing wherever you can, uh, whatever opportunity you, you can to, to get out the guitar or, or perform, you know, um, it would be the best way to go. But also, too, mate, is right. Just songwriting, you know, songwriting's a uh, – Mark Holden once said to me, he said, it's a, it's a craft that you can learn. The more you learn about it, the better you get at it. So I, gotcha. I sort of thought it was just a creative 
thing that, you know, spontaneous ideas just pop in your head, but it's not actually, I mean, there is that, that part of it, but there's also um, just in learning how the more you do it, the, the better you get at it and the more, uh, the more songs and the more quality of a songwriter you, you, you become. So I think, you know, the more that you can songwrite, the better, because, sure. you know, everyone's, um, the more every song that you write, they say, is closer to the hit. That you're going to write, so there you go. I think uh, the, the more songs that you write, the closer you get to writing a good one. Yeah, it didn't happen with six and out, but um, but <laughs> do, do, do you have a um, do you have a structured process? Hey you mate, yeah, no, not really, mate. You know, it's really strange. I've I've written with a lot of people around the world, Richard Marks and uh, Richie Sambora and people like that. You know, wow. and, uh, I think Desmond Child wrote 57 number one hits in the states. You know, so these these mm. people and they all had different. Uh, approaches to to the songwriting process. So, you know, some guys just start off with a, with a, a loop, a beat on a loop that just goes round. Other people start with a, a, a storyline. Some people start uh, with a guitar line. You know, I've sort of I've written with people before. And we've you know we've written the verses first and written gone backwards sort of thing, or written gotcha, the chorus yeah. first and then then gone back and written wrote the verses. So it's just sort of whatever suits whatever works for the individual, mate. You know. There you go. And, mate, and you've raised, I was reading up, you've raised over a million dollars for numerous charities over the years, mate, which, yeah. is, a, which is a bloody big effort. And Movember, you know, about you know, prostate cancer and testicular cancer. How did you get involved yeah. with that? Mate, yeah, I've sort of done a lot over the years. I thought the, the opportunity that the general public gave me by supporting me on the show was um, the least I could do to try and support uh, um, what charities I could and, and I think oh, we sort of costed it out. It's sort of we donated time, sort of thing, like just yep. performances and stuff like that. So it sort of worked out somewhere near that, mate. But um, yeah, I think you know you you, you you it's the least you can do to, in that situation to give give back where you can here and there. Um, if if you if you're that way inclined, you know. But November uh, uh, was another men's one, mate. I think mental health with men's uh, stuff time. is another one that's important to me, um, especially. You know, coming from a farming background too, a lot of farmers um, take their own lives. I think the suicide rate with yeah. farmers is pretty, pretty exorbitant, so pretty high. So I think that's a problem. You know, and and I've just recently partnered up with Soldier On as well, who do amazing work with yeah, with return service men and women with, suffering from PTSD. I think there's more more uh, return servicemen who've taken their own lives, twice as many more have taken their own life than actually got killed in action in Afghanistan. So Jeez. when you've got numbers like that, you know, we've got to start doing something about it, mate. And, and especially with this COVID thing too, I think it's um, not helping anyone's mentals, uh, no, mental not. space at all either. So we just got to learn better ways of communication and, and making it more comfortable to talk about the subject in general, I think, um, instead of just trying to throw medication at it because it doesn't seem like, the medication is, is anything great for you either. I think you take too much of it, and it makes the thing makes uh, the situation worse. So I don't know what the what the what the answer is, mate. But I think talking about it uh, yep. at least will open up the, the communication channels, and we might get um, some more progress. And Laurie, how are the young footballers going at the moment? Because it just seems to me, from an outside looking in, that there's obviously a lot of pressure. There's a lot more money now. You have got a pandemic happening where they they probably can't get out and train like they want to train. Then you throw in you know extra press and and the social media issues, yeah, I'm a bit pretty concerned for our young footballers. Yeah, it, it's amazing, Shane, because people just expect that they know what to do and how to handle the situation yeah. that's in front of them, and and everyone's built differently and wired differently, and people handle certain things in their own manner, and and people handle it differently to what people consider the norm. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on on sporting players and, and the young players in particular, but I suppose they learn 
or they're learning more about the responsibilities that, that come their way through education and the processes that have been put in place now by a lot of the professional sporting codes here in the country, uh, they get a lot of education on on what they should be doing and, 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 and shouldn't be doing. But obviously, this COVID-19 has been something that all of us have struggled with, yeah. uh, as Shannon mentioned earlier, you know, about mental health. I, what I do know with a lot of sports people, um, that they need structure in their life and they need yep. things to be able to do. And, and in particular, um, athletes where they're, 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 they're young men, you know, they're trained to, to go out there and, and play football and they're elite athletes and plenty of testosterone flying around and they feel caged up and they just want yeah. to get out and do something. And I'm not saying that that's an excuse, but it's just that's the reality of it. So, yes, it's there's some challenges but, that everyone is sort of going through, but hopefully, you know, we continue to educate, we continue to offer our guidance and advice and hopefully they'll continue to make better choices. And that's the thing, look, because it can affect you at any stage um, post-retirement, you know. It could be, it might hit you, you know, one year after you retire or could it be 10 years down the track. So you definitely need to monitor that. And so, Laurie, if you, if I had a, a, a young son, what advice would you give a young footballer? Um, my, my advice has always been enjoyment. You've yep. got to play the sport for enjoyment. You've got to play it for the, for the love and, and then try and be as best you possibly can. If you really want to be a success at a sport, you have to have that, that quality that we spoke about, uh, the enjoyment factor, but also you need to dedicate yourself because mm. there's a lot of kids out there that want to play at the elite level, but you've got to be the one that does the most work and you've got to make those sacrifices and you've got to do the right thing. And, and if you don't and if you've got ability, you'll probably kick yourself years down the track. And I think we all... Yeah. know of a lot of players in all sports that have been very talented, but it's not always the most talented kid that goes on and reaches the heights of some of the others, but they were capable of doing it um, yeah. when they were younger. It's funny, you always hear the story, you hear um, you know, people say, oh, that kid was so talented, if only he had a, yeah. you know, a, a, few, a few brains. Yeah. You, yeah. you never, never hear him say, that kid was so mentally tough, if only he could fucking catch. It doesn't work around the other way. Yeah. It's true. So, um, so Laurie, one of the really questions I've got for you, the greatest player you played with and, and why? Yeah, it's always a tough one, Shane. I've played with so many wonderful players and, you know, that Canberra Raiders team, I think. At one stage there, we had seven guys that were considered to be, and this is in our club side, Canberra, seven guys considered to be the best player in their position in the world. So that's how good the Raiders side yeah. was. If I had to nail it to one, I'll, I'll, I'll word it like this. I'll phrase it like this. <laughs> if you were to pick a best 13 of all time and Bradley Clyde ended up on my team, I think I would I would have one of the greatest players I've ever seen. There you go. <laughs> well he seen. was a freakish player. They talk about edge forwards today, but he was a prototype. He was fit. He was big. He was fast. He could play on an edge, he could play through the middle. And the thing I admired about Bradley, the appetite for hard work. He would be back there on tackle, uh, play two to carry the ball forward. You know, today's environment, they talk about wingers getting in and making all these runs. Well, Bradley was a guy that got back there, did a winger's job, but then was also doing a front rower's job, but then would also do a centre three-quarters job. <laughs> he was a phenomenal athlete yeah. and a freak of a player. 
It definitely was. So, so growing up in the backyard, mate, so eight kids in your family, and but seven sisters. So if, it, if it's four on four in the backyard, what position were you playing? <laughs> well, 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 I was I was pretty lucky because we grew up in Juneau and we lived in um, housing commission. Yep, and there was a lot of kids in the street, and I lived next door to my cousins, and okay. my cousins had eight in their family as well, but they had six boys and two girls. So I spent most of my childhood in their backyard playing cricket, playing rugby league, playing whatever sport we could do. But also then you'd go out to the, the front lawn or, or the street or the road or wherever you, you were playing <coughs> and all of a sudden kids from all different houses <laughs> would join in. So yeah. you'd have a massive game of rugby league or you'd have a massive game of cricket, whatever sport you were playing. And for me that was Oh, just some of the great memories of all time, you know. And then yeah. you'd be, you know, your mother would be calling you when the sun was going down. It'd be dark <laughs> to come inside. Yeah, good times. You know, yeah, um, yeah, have, have dinner and all that that type of stuff. But I, I loved growing up in Juneau in a country town. I loved where I lived, and and I loved my family. But uh, yeah, I, I tended to play a lot of my sport with my with my um, with my cousins. In fact, it was my auntie that. <laughs> Um, encouraged my mum to allow me to play rugby league because mum wow. wouldn't let me play when I was little because she thought I'd get hurt and be yeah. the only son, you know. So, so my auntie said, "You got to go and let him play." You know, he <laughs> he, um, he he loves it. He's with his with his cousins, and and that's how I sort of started. And then I just yeah fell in love with it. And Sham, what was the backyard like with Adam and Damo, mate? Those two blokes <coughs> have the fucking strongest handshake I reckon I've, I've ever <laughs> shook in my life. Yeah, there must be some yeah, good, good games of sport in the backyard. Oh, most definitely, mate. We uh, we actually built a uh, three quarter cricket pitch in the backyard. Um, we used to steal, get these plastic balls from school, and they'd fly off the uh, off the old Malthoid, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was some head hunting going on in the backyard there, but. You know, we also had, uh, oh, you know, because we had so much room out there, we kicking the footy and that sort of thing as well, mate, and, and a couple of little golf holes around the around the house paddock too. So there was sort of, depending on the season, mate, where there was uh, always something in the backyard to, to, to go and have a kick or go and have a, a game of cricket. I remember Damien one time, he decided he wanted to be a fast bowler. I was about 12, I think, and he was probably 16. So he got me in the car shed and, he was coming off the long run. We didn't have a tie pad, so he ended up with just a, an old uh, liquid inoculant bag tied around tied around the hip. I was shaking like a leaf. The big brother coming in off the long run, 16 years old, pounding him into me in the garage, mate. So he was always sink or swim out there back in them days, mate. But like I said, it was, you know, they're the best memories of all time, mate. You know, just remembering some of the stuff we used to do out there together. As, as brothers, we only really had each other, so it was sort of um, – it was sort of, you know, uh, without the boys out there, there was nothing happening. So we'd get out there together and kick the footy. And Dad would come home from work and he'd have a kick too until he'd hurt his knee or something like that, you know. But bloody good times, though, mate. You know what? I, I it just brought back a memory of mine. When the whole street used to get out and play sort of cricket, if you were the last one there, you know how you always had to take it in turns. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, the last one in, you were the last to bat. <laughs> what about though? If you came in late, you just fielded. They wouldn't let you bowl, <laughs> <laughs> and it was getting darker and darker. And you'd be thinking, when's it my turn to bat? And you yeah. spent two hours out there, and you wouldn't get a bat because the, the the light would just 
uh, fade and and you had to had to go inside and you were yeah. filthy. You, you were, yeah. you were that's going what, out there chasing the ball. Well, that's what happened, happened with our third brother Grant. I was the older side batted. Brett bowled and poor Grant had to field, so he retired. At <laughs> yeah, 19, the, I yeah. remember Damo was a pretty fair bat in his day, and we could never get the bugger out. So he just bat for hours and hours and hours. And he made he made so many tons in the backyard. You know what I mean? But he, me and my uncle got together one day, and he wouldn't even he'd be busting a going. And snap one off, and like, but he wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop batting. So we uh, we got him down one day. And we thought we'd, we'd um, teach him a lesson. So he, he was sitting there till I think he had turtles head poking out just about. But he didn't want to give up the bat because he, he'd give it up. So my uncle got him down, tickled him till he. <laughs> he never let us. He never forgive us for it, though. Either. We never let him forget it, though. Love either. it. Uh, well, boys, I just want to thank you both for coming on the show. Um, you you both fantastic. Good Aussie blokes, um, country boys. Keep doing the good stuff in the country because, as you said, the country people need some help at the moment. And, um, yeah. and the stuff around the prostate too, if you're over 40, um, go and get a blood yeah. test. It's really yeah. simple. Not like my old flatmate Martin Haywood who was going to get his prostate checked four or five times a week. The doctor said, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so it's a simple blood test now, Moose Haywood. <laughs> um, but I really do appreciate your time, guys, and good luck with the season. Shannon, I'm, I'm going to uh, download tonight. I was only 19. You're at the Red yeah. Gum cover, you, you and the boys did. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing that punk version. No worries, mate. Yeah, yeah, it rocks out pretty – it's a bit of fun, mate, anyway. But, mate, thanks very much. And a great fan of yours, mate. I'm a huge fan. I still remember, never forget, when you come out of the line of State of Origin, you – and took out the, the axe, Gilmeister. Trevor, remember oh, that? Yeah, yeah. That was brilliant, mate. Cleaned him up and you're playing 5 eight, I think. So, big fan too, mate. So, thanks again, Shana, too, and thanks a lot. Uh, pleasure, thanks. boys. Take care, guys. Thanks, Shana. That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Shannon Noel and Laurie Daly. Thanks to Hilton Headley for all your hard work behind the scenes. Thanks to our sponsors, the Gin Society and Spartan Sports. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars if you're passionate, leave a review. Next week, we'll be checking some more serious legends to discuss more music, sport and business on another Cracker episode of Lunch With Lee. See you there. Someone.